Good morning, winners, and welcome to the Wrong Button Podcast, the show where we talk all things nerd, most things video games, and generally anything that suits our fantasy. And happy New Year's to those of you that are celebrating it. So this year, I have a special New Year's podcast for you guys. Uh, it's going to be a solo podcast with me, Chris, or Mr. Clay, depending on how you like to refer to me. And I want to do a solo podcast talking about uh, one of my favorite subjects, which is expanded lore and universe in video games. Now, the point of this podcast is going to be focusing on uh, the Gears of War franchise. Namely, why are the characters and why are the modern Gears of War games not like as much as the old Gears of War games uh, you know, of the 360 era? So we're talking Gears 1, 2, 3. Uh, we can throw a judgment in there if you want, compared to Gears 4 and 5. Tactics was received relatively well. It also harkened back to the... I'm going to say the golden age of Gears in air quotes there. And it was an XCOM-like game that did a really good job at saying, hey, we can incorporate that, that XCOM feel into the Gears universe pretty seamlessly and it can go well. So I'm not necessarily going to touch that one, uh, maybe except to refer to, to Kate's dad in that one. What are we going to be doing here? Well, my plan is to go through this podcast and I'm going to look at Gears of War through the eyes of a literary critic a critic of somebody who is going to study what the essence of the games are, uh, study how the game draws from reality, draws from other works of art, things like that, and culminates to give us the Gears 1, 2, and 3. And then I'm going to compare that to Gears 4 and 5. Uh, for the focus of this one, just because that can be an incredibly large topic to cover if I were to look at every little detail, what I'm actually going to look at are the characters of those games. I want to look at namely Delta Squad, so that is uh, Dominic, Marcus, Baird, and Coltrane. And if you want, we can even throw in there uh, Colonel Hoffman, just because I really like Colonel Hoffman. And we can probably throw in there uh, Clayton, because Carmine is just a, a fun character to pretty much always talk about. And then what we're going to do is I'm going to compare them to the next generation of Gears coming down the line, which is going to be Kate, JD, Dell, and Foz. And what I'm going to try to do is analyze why do we like the Delta Squad of old and not really like the new Delta Squad? Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit here and I'm going to look at where I think the Gears games are drawing from to give us these characters, uh, to develop them into their own full-fledged people that they become in the games, as well as what the game is referencing and the situations the game is referencing to kind of come together and say, this is how we're molding and shaping these characters. These are how these characters are interacting with the world around them and how that is ultimately shaping how you and I view them. I'm also going to take a look at some things, uh, real-world statistics, because I do want to give those to us, because I, I think some of these real-world uh, statistics here uh, that I'm going to put out are actually going to uh, shape us and say, oh, maybe this is why we're feeling this way. And this is how I'm getting it. Now, I do want you guys to keep in mind, criticism is completely subjective. Uh, so these are just going to be my opinions. I'm going to try to justify them uh, and support them. I'm going to try to support them the best I can. You can take with it what you will. If you think it's a load of crock or, yeah, it doesn't really matter. That's perfectly fine. I just feel like there is some defense to be made there of, hey, why do we feel as strongly as we do about these characters? 
Now, the other thing I want you guys to keep in mind here is that in literary criticism, sometimes the curtains are just blue. Author likes the color blue, so the curtains are blue. Gears of War can just be a game about giant buff guys with giant chainsaw rifles fighting giant mole people with other giant chainsaw rifles and cutting themselves up. That is completely understandable and expected. But, so here's the thesis that kind of kicked this one off. Um, and I kind of got this from listening to the Castle Super Beast podcast. So shout out to Pat Boyvane if anyone wants to share this with him and he has time to give it a listen. Uh, was, you know, people don't like the new Gears games. Nobody likes the new Gears of War generation, the new Gears kids that are coming into this game. Well, then why did they do it? Easy answer. And we can end the podcast here. Money. Congratulations. Epic Games put in more money. They had an established franchise. They said, just just throw some more stories into it. Go, go ahead. Go into the future. It's fine. Uh, they give us those stories. They don't do well. And people are like, yeah, like these new Gears kids that are coming out. And, and there you go. That could be the end of the podcast right there. However, what I want to challenge us to do here uh, is when we look at art and when we look at art that we we don't like or we just don't like this one aspect of it. Of course, we can always say, well, the artist needed money, the company needed money, so they just kept pumping it out to do that to us. I can completely understand and agree with that. The Gears games can be a bit of a cash cow. Objectively, they're not Call of Duty. They're not pumping them out every year, just going like, here's a new Gears of War game. So I like to think that they genuinely do have a story that they're trying to tell and more that they're trying to bring into that. A lot of the times when we look at art, it's often that we see reflections of ourselves in that art. When we truly start to analyze a piece of work, a video game, movie, uh, it can even be a painting or a story. We have characters that we like. We have characters that we don't like. We have parts of this painting that we like. We have parts of this painting that we don't like. Maybe some of it is on technique. Maybe some of it is on placement. Maybe some of it is on the reflection that we see of ourselves in that piece. And I firmly believe the reason that the Gears kids aren't liked as much as they are is because of the reflection that they cause on the people that are playing the games. When I say it's because of the reflection they cause on the people playing the games, what am I talking about? According to the ESA, 80% of people that are playing games nowadays are over 18 years old. The average age of a person who plays games, I'm talking casually, hardcore, what have you, is 31. Now, I have just turned 32 earlier uh, last month, uh, in the tail end of January. So I am ripe in the middle of this. And according to Gallup, between the years 1981 and 1996, millennials were born why why does any of that matter why do any of those statistics matter well look at kate jd dell and foz the the new characters of the new delta squad they're the millennials of the gears universe they are the new age of kids that is growing up that reflect the people that are currently playing those games now i know what you're thinking how how are these people millennials how is any of this tied together? Uh, why do you think that I don't like millennials? That's dumb. Why are you picking on millennials? A anything that you can get along those lines. So first and foremost, I'm a millennial myself. But I think the question we're, we're asking here and that needs to be answered is, 
how are they millennials? To do this, what I'm going to say here is we're going to look at the history of Gears of War. Uh, so what is actually happening in universe versus what's happening in our own universe. I'm going to compare and contrast those here for you so we can see what some of the likenesses are. And then I'm going to build up to how that leads the new cast of characters, so your Kates, your Jelves, your JDs, <clears throat> to be millennials, to be like you and I, to be like the people that are playing games today, and why that can affect the way that we are looking at these games and cause us to not like these characters. So to do that, what I'm going to start with is we're going to start with the most prominent aspects leading up to the Gears of War games. So in the Gears of War timeline, right before E-Day, which is where the locusts start invading Gears, or the coalition of Gears in the human uh, surface area of the planet Terra, there was a previous war, and that was known as the Pendulum Wars. The Pendulum Wars were fought between two rival factions, the UIR, the Union of Independent Republics, and the COG, the Coalition of Ordered Governments. Now, these wars go on for about 100 years, so we could very easily go, hey, it's, uh, it's just like the 100-year wars here uh, you know, on Earth, here in our world, where we've got just multiple skirmishes, multiple little wars going between different countries that we've never heard of. And then, you know, you've got Axis and Allies, so you could even be like, oh, maybe it's like World War II, where we've got the Coalition of Gears. They're your, no, they're your allies here. They are your big, strong, you know, freedom, democracy, tyranny, whatever you want to call them, versus the Independent Republic, which a lot of the times when you play the games and go to their territories, they sound a little bit more as though they were influenced by... Uh, being Russian or being German. Some of their accents come across as very Russian. Some of the other accents come across as very German. Now, we could very easily go, okay, so the Pendulum Wars is World War, you know, World War II, and you've got your Axis, your, Co or your UIR, your allies, your COG, and they're going to fight it out, and then nukes are going to be dropped, and we go into the future. And we get to where the games where the games ultimately take place. What I'd like to do here is I'm not going to take a look at the Pendulum Wars as though they were World War II. Instead, I want to kind of focus on the Pendulum Wars as though they were World War One. So what I'd like to you do is follow me for a second. Pendulum Wars, what they do is they 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 go over about 79 years, I think is the actual total. So you've got 79 years where uh, humans are constantly fighting each other. How is this kind of like this? Like, so you got your Axis, um, or you've got your uh, Central Powers uh, versus your Allied Powers. Um, it's a lot of very conventional warfare when you actually look at how uh, the game is portrayed. If you play Gears of War 3, uh, I think it is, you get to actually kind of fight through the Battle of Asphalt Fields as a younger sergeant or a younger, maybe specialist corporal uh, Phoenix. And what you're doing is you're charging up a lot of, uh, you're charging up a lot of uh, trenches. So Phoenix is running up these trenches. You've got this really old lancer that has a giant bayonet on it. So you're like Brody running, bayoneting people. You're charging across as they're firing a lot of artillery at you. Hoffman's got the shotgun, you know, just very much like the trench gun. So as you're running through this, you're fighting through all these trenches, and that's the Battle of Asphalt Fields. So why is the Battle of Asphalt Fields then important? into saying that this is more like World War I than it is like World War II. Well, 
Astro Fields, the whole point of that battle for the Gears universe was to secure a weapon platform called the Hammer of Dawn. The Hammer of Dawn was supposed to be a satellite-based space laser that would fire down and could be the ultimate deterrent. So if you, the Coalition of Gears got this, they could then say, hey, we have a giant space laser. Laser, if anyone wants to get uppity with us, we can just wipe them off the face of the planet. Nobody has to know that they were here. Kind of sounds like they're a, a bit of a war to end all wars. We're going to get this massive deterrent. No one else is going to have it. And then we're never going to have to fight another war with our people. So what happens here is that the Coalition of Gears secure that. They defeat the UIR and we have peace. Right? So that's that's how it starts. The other reason that I really want us to think about uh, the Pendulum Wars is World War One. is World War One is often referred to as the Great War. You know, this was... This was the ultimate war of good and evil up until, of course, you know, World War II. But this is the war that was going to decide the fate of humanity, where we said, you know what? We're going to fight this war, and when the winners come out on top, they're going to dictate everything, and we are never going to have another war to the same level as we have just done ever again. Full stop. Now, I realize World War I doesn't have anything to do with nukes or space lasers, uh, so... I want to take it, like I said, on the fact that this was supposed to be a war to end all wars. Now, how does this pertain to our characters that we're going to be analyzing? So we're going to look at the first Delta Squad. Only two people were actively fighting in the Pendulum Wars. And that was Dominic Santiago and Marcus Phoenix. The two main characters, I'm going to say, of the first two Gears of War games. You know, best friends, soldier story that are going to be going through those games. I think Cole was still doing like Thrash Ball in the, the COG area, and I think Baird might have been going through academy school because if you play Judgment, uh, you get to learn that he is like a, a, one, an incredible genius, and he was a lieutenant before he was fucked all the way down to private for uh, botching a massive mission. So you have two characters that are shaped by this great war. Um, as we all know, people who came out of World War One were often referred to as shell-shocked, or what might otherwise be known as modern-day PTS. Um, but we look at these characters as these stoic figures. We look at them as heroes, that they're quiet. They don't talk about conflict because they understood what it meant uh, to take that on. Not necessarily that they had problems processing what happened, as anyone who would ever go through a situation like that would, but they look at these characters as like, you know, here is the ultimate machismo, the ultimate macho man, the soldier that went off to war to go ahead and fight, you know, fight these uh, these people to bring about peace to our entire world. And that's how we start to shape Dominic and Marcus. Even when you play the first game, they are the heroes of Astro Fields. They are the ones that went ahead to try and help bring down a, a rival factional government that could have ultimately destroyed their way of life. They are hailed as war heroes, and if you talk to people, they will often refer to them as such. Pendulum Wars have now ended. Peace has happened. All right, there's a good start of it. So now we're going to get into the Gears of War game itself. So we're going to start uh, with Gears 1, 2, and 3. And those are the three that I'm going to focus on to go ahead and, like I said, compare and contrast Delta Squad. So like just to bring you guys back up, Delta Squad is going to be Marcus, Dom, 
Baird and Coltrane. And I'm going to go ahead and compare them here to the new Delta squad, which is going to be Kate, JD, Dell, and Foz, who are, like I said, I'm saying they are millennials. Okay. So, Pendulum Wars end. We bring about peace. There's an armistice that is signed between the UIR, the Coalition of Gears, and we get about six weeks of peace before E-Day. E-Day being when the Locusts emerge from the core of Planet Sarah, the underground, and start attacking the humans up top. Now, this is the one that's going to be a little bit harder. Um, so we're going to focus on what I think E-Day is representative of and everything that is, that is going to be happening to kind of like lead us up to the end of the mainline Gears games. E-Day happens and the Locusts start invading uh, human human settlements. They start invading uh, Saren's uh, cities. And they don't just attack the Coalition of Gears, they also attack the former UIR, and they begin to wipe people off the planet. And it is brutal. They are monstrous. They seemingly come out of nowhere, and they fight with a massive sense of ferocity. So the question here is, you know, well, what does this equate to? Most games, like if, especially like almost any game that you can sit here and play, uh, or even stories of a modern era where they talk about a future setting or a modern setting. You get two sides here. You have your good guys, your ragtag group of rebels, and you have your bad guys, your evil empire, your axis of evil. And most of the time, it's always going to be on the German side. You look at Star Wars, they're called stormtroopers. And you're like, oh, yeah, so the, the stormtroopers, the clone troopers become the stormtroopers. So you got like your World War One retirees that become the stormtroopers that are going to be for Nazi Germany or the Nazi Empire, the evil empire there versus your rebels, which are supposed to be United States, your Britons, your people that hold out by the grit of their teeth. They all muster together and, and they make it happen. They, they do the thing. However, that doesn't really fit in with Gears of War. I can make that argument kind of for you know, Halo, that it's, you know, Empire, the the Covenant are going to be your Nazi regime that are coming through and the humans get to be, you know, the, the allied powers. But with Gears, that doesn't really make sense because the the Locusts don't follow any of those those real accounts of like how, you know, the, the, the Germans in World War II fall. Instead, when I look at the Locusts and when, when I start analyzing them, I'm like, OK, if this is World War II, because it's in all actuality, the, the war that is most often drawn upon when you come to create two, two rivals and you're, you're like, okay, I have to have two different countries fight each other. What's the ultimate way to do this? We create a supreme bad guy. We have our Nazi Germany. We create an awesome good guy. We've got our United States. and Great Britain always gets to be lumped in there. <clears throat> and that, that's really how we do it. However, when I'm looking at Gears of War and I look at E-Day and I, I look at what happens and then you start reading the comics and the stories uh, and the, 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 the book series that go along with it. The Locusts are actually like the Pacific theater. They're the Japanese when it comes to World War II. Coalition of Gears, the, the COG, they still get to be the Americans because, of course, they do. It's an American-based game. That's probably going to be the big way to draw upon it. However, the, the Locusts are the Japanese and the entirety of Gears of War is actually the Pacific theater. Now, all right, that might seem like a stretch for you. How am I getting there? So we're going to take a look at it, and I'm going to draw real quick to the uh, the Rise of Rom comic. Uh, so that's the 
the trade paperback, which talks about how the general for the Locust, General Rom, from the first game, gets to become the massive power that he is, and he's this insane leader that goes ahead and uh, is going to help. He's going to be the one that helps the Locust take over, take over and beat the the Sarans on top of it. So. General Rom, we learn, is a grunt. He kind of rises up. He's a bigger one. He ends up fighting uh, the supreme leader of the underworld, or I'm sorry, of the locusts uh, in uh, in their little hierarchy before they get to the queen. And he takes over. And he looks at the queen. Now, the queen is considered to be like their god. She is able to control the Jones. What she says goes. So much like the emperor of Japan. So we've got a queen. We've got Emperor, then we've got our, then we've got General Rom, and, you know, we, we kind of get the Yamato, you know, uh, Japanese over here as well, where it's like the Japanese had their naval commander, and it, it, you know, it filters down. So you've got, like, your supreme commander over everything, and then, you know, you filter down to all your little underlings as battles go on. E-Day is very much Pearl Harbor. You know, nobody really expects much of the Japanese. They're a small island nation. They might be uh, causing a ruckus over in like China and the Philippines, but they're not really bothering the United States. In the United States, the Congress doing their own like isolationist thing. We're kind of rebuilding after the war. So what do they do? They do E-Day. Japan attacks the United States at Pearl Harbor. Boom. World, World War II kicks off. So you got a very quick one here. Uh, they come out. They start burrowing through cities, uh, attacking not only military infrastructures, but civilian infrastructures. The civilian infrastructure is also a, a kind of a really big point to put on here of why it's the Gears of War games are like uh, Japan and the Pacific Theater compared to the Western Front, you know, fighting Nazi Germany. There are many accounts of Japanese soldiers killing women, children, civilians, and non-combatants. The locusts do the same thing. They get people, they take them to torture pods, they put them underground, you know, they have them fight or i'm sorry they have them tortured in these pods they do horrific things to them that causes you know grown men we look at ty in gears of war 2 who after being captured for a few hours right so gears of war 2 when you have the grind lift it kind of gives you your d-day-esque experience where you start dropping down um and i'm, I'm thinking more it shouldn't be d-day it should be like guadalcanal but you start like dropping down the pods to go fight in the underbelly, in the under or the, the center of the planet, under the crust to fight the locust in the hive. He he gets captured there, put in a pod. You find him a couple hours later, and he is so messed up that he ends up taking his own life. There are accounts of that on the Japanese side far more often than there were on the German side because uh, the German side it was considered to be, you know, still that era of almost chivalry on the battlefield, where for the Japanese side, it was really, you know, a big start of guerrilla warfare, of uh, unconventional conventional warfare. Unconventional typically is like nuclear weapons, but this is like, no, we're going to use traps. We're going to, you know, like lay in the bottom of a rice paddy and hope you don't step on us. So that way, when you walk by us in the middle of the night, we can walk up behind you and start killing you guys because you're going to be like, well, we've been pushing him back and now we've got people behind them. So the, the, the grubs, the, the locust here, really kind of seem to draw more on a lot of those Japanese tactics, especially with 
just how brutally they were attacking civilians as well as other aspects of uh, prisoners of war and how things like that were handled. That leads us into E-Day, what happens after E-Day. Shortly after the Locust started merging, the uh, uh, Chairman Prescott here is a... Uh, makes the ultimate decision where he's like, you know what, guys, we have the Hammer of Dawn. Uh, the Locusts seem to be going towards our cities, uh, so we're going to drop the Hammer of Dawn on them, we're going to destroy these cities, and we're going to evacuate everyone kind of to Jacinto. Uh, I take that as the first battle for the Philippines with General MacArthur, who's trying to hold the Philippines, slowly getting overrun by the Japanese until he is ultimately uh, destroyed, or I'm sorry, until he is ultimately forced to retreat because they're like, United States goes, we can't let General MacArthur get captured. So Prescott destroys a lot of the human settlements and people pull back uh, to Jacinto, which is like the last human stronghold here. All right. So that's really how I'm drawing in here for World War II. And then we could go through and analyze those characters. Uh, or Sorry, we can go through and analyze those stories and how the games progress to get more onto that. But... The real reason I wanted to set up that we have World War I and World War II is so now how can we look at the characters of the Gears of War 1 franchise, right? So, or I'm sorry, the Gears of War franchise 1, 2, and 3. So let's, once again, we're going to pull that back to your Marcus Phoenix, your Dominic Santiago, Coltrane, and Baird. How does that affect, for starters, let's go ahead and take a look at how we portray people who are often you know fighting in world war ii world war one they're lacocious they are like the lacedaemonians or as people might better know them the spartans marcus phoenix is literally clint eastwood from any world war ii movie that clint eastwood is in i would say dominic santiago is more like john wayne He has a little bit more personality. He talks a little bit more. But if you look at those two men and the characters that they portrayed in World War II movies, Clint Eastwood, he is as Spartan as you get. He might take four or five words, and that'll be most of what he says. John Wayne will be a little bit more inspiring and gets a little bit more dialogue in there. So that's why I want to give him to Santiago, because John Wayne typically has uh, a little bit more personality when it comes to a lot of these a lot of these roles as like the the lieutenant or the the captain or the sergeant or what have you <clears throat> but marcus phoenix nah he he just goes up to clint eastwood they are spartan they are seen as this golden rugged age of man you know marcus phoenix even has this he has a scar that he got but it was a fight in prison but it still lends itself to the aesthetic of no he is he is a macho man He's here to do a soldier's duty when he's pulled out of jail to go ahead and try to figure out what's happening and help Santiago. Uh, he's very much like, I'm not in this, like, you know, uh, kind of disenfranchised with the whole military and the coalition of gears. But his buddy's like, man, I, I need you. We need to go do this. I'm looking for my wife. And, you know, you, you kind of get that story. Roll into Gears of War 1. So you have characters that are shaped by this great war. Now, the other thing that I want you to really look at is uh, is that the Coalition of Gears, the COG, they aren't the Americans, right? I've kind of equated them to being Americans, 
but they aren't really that. They get called fascists. Like the Coalition of Gears, like those fascist pigs that come around to stranded settlements, they're called fascists. They are called dictators. It is Chairman Prescott, not President Chess Prescott. His father was a chairman. You might get elected, but you're going to be from an elite class. You know, you're, you're going to be from like an oligarchic class. You're going to be groomed to take that role, and you're going to be the one who is in charge of these countries, and you're going to have supreme authority. If you look at the way their uniforms are also worn, not a lot of adornment there. They're actually going to be buttoned up rather like an SAS unit, or I'm sorry, rather like a uniform of, you know, Nazi Germany, the, the, the Hugo Boss, you know, SS Trooper uniforms. So you have this dictatorship. Now, there's a reason that that starts to matter here. There is a quote by Adolf Hitler, and I, I, I can't uh, remember it, and I, I will try to find it in the section, but he talks about what it takes to win a war when you're fighting a dictator. So Adolf Hitler sits there and goes, I have, he has two ways to win this war. One is, of course, conventional victory. He rolls out. His army is stronger than the other armies. He conquers the world. And now Adolf Hitler is, is reigned supreme, right? So that is his first. The second is, when you are fighting an enemy of this caliber, and that enemy is bent on taking you out, you have to start adopting dictatorial methods, right? You start seizing control of the papers and being like, hey guys, I can't have you guys putting out all these losses. You guys need to say, hey, we're winning. You need to make sure you're saying things, support the troops. You need to be patriotic, right? So start there. A little bit of freedom of speech going away. You know, we go, hey, this propaganda, this is we're winning. We're doing this for the boys. Sell the war bonds. Give us money. Give them war bonds. That's what you need to do. So once again, <clears throat> we're, we're pushing forward. It's, it's very small. You can see it here in the United States. It happened a lot more in England. Hey, we need to start rationing your food. We're going to tell you what you can and can't watch, where you can and can't go. And it, it just starts to snowball. I'm even going to go as far to say over here in the United States, we had internment camps where we were rounding up people who were of Japanese descent. And it didn't matter how much Japanese percent. It could have been your great, great, great grandmother, you know, who was only half Japanese herself. So by the time it gets down to you, you're only like, you know, 2% Japanese. You're going to be put in this internment camp because we, we, we can't help you. So it's this becomes more of a, a fascist regime and it begins to build more as a, a dictator here. So the coalition of gears realizing what it's going to take to win starts putting out martial law being like, you know what? The military needs to be in charge because things could happen here and they need to be able to act with impunity and not have to worry about the civilians or the ramifications. So the characters that we have, so Marcus Phoenix, Dominic Baird, and Cole, all of these people are being shaped by two great wars. So you have the Pendulum Wars, so World War One. You have the War with the Locust. That's going to be World War Two. It's going to be the Pacific Theater, which is arguably the more brutal theater of all of them. You start looking at the island-hopping warfare, you start looking at Guadalcanal and the numbers that came through of what happened, uh, the landings that happened in those areas. And then you're going to start looking at the fact that, hey, the COG, it's a fascist regime. 
Like they, it's a dictor, dictatorship. It's fascist. They have you know the evil uniforms. It's the gray. It's the big armor. Um, but it, it, it's very much our way or the highway, and that's how you get those characters shaped. And then because you know the way that we look at World War One and World War Two and the kind of idolization and hero worship that can be there. Um, I know when I was younger, um, my father always put on, you know, Flying Tigers, which was John Wayne, or right, to a lesser known extent, you know, uh, you've got uh, you've got uh, Kelly's Heroes, which was, you know, a, a fun bank heist thing with uh, Clint Eastwood. But I remember watching those movies. I remember watching Tora Tora Tora. I remember watching even like Band of Brothers when you look at, you know, uh, how uh, Major Winters is portrayed in that, where he's very smart and he's very loquacious in his words. He says the words that matter that he needs to say, and that's it. There's no fluff. There's nothing that you're getting here. There's no grandiose, you know, bravado in anything that he's going to say. <clears throat> so, Gears of War 3 wraps. We end up, you know, dropping a giant, you know, nuke on all of. Uh, the locust, which is meant to wipe out all the locust men, women, children, different. Almost like when we dropped, you know, two massive bombs on uh, on Japan, and we said, you know, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, both of those are civilian targets. They are considered soft targets, not hard targets, not targets with military investment in order to prove a point. The other way that I also want you guys to kind of think about this is when we say, hey, this is uh, Japan's theater of World War II, is when the locusts come up for E-Day, they've already been fighting a battle against the Lambent, which is another faction of locusts that aren't under control of the hive mind. They don't follow the queen because they have been so bathed, I want to say, in the emulsion, into the, the, the fuel that ends up like making most of the wars. And if we also look at that here for the locusts, that's almost like Japan fighting China and Korea, as well as going south into Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, and the Philippines, where Japan was like, hey, we're going to do this, you know, Pacific unity under the leadership of Japan. We're going to elevate everyone else who was Asian at the time, and we are going to say, we're all going to fight together, and then we can take it, you know, to the Westerners that subject us so much. So there, you have World War II. You've got characters that are shaped that way. All the characters are quiet. You've got some stereotypes. Baird is the, you know, loud, cocky, smart guy. Coltrane. Coltrane is the former sports star. Happens to have the heart of gold, but he's also big and tough. Colonel Hoffman. Arlie Ernie. You have people that are like these, these veterans that are going to be looked at in such a way of like, you know what? You guys are the greatest that we've ever been. It's going to be a golden age that... You know, when we go like, oh, look at the golden age of gears, we're rooting for the fascist dictatorship. And when you look at it that way, you're like, oh, these are that's kind of becomes a little bit of a hard thing to root for because you don't want the humans to be extinct. But you also don't want to be like, yeah, I'm rooting for a, a fascist dictator. So I think that sets up my preamble here for the gears cast, the original gears cast. What about this new gears cast? What about jd what about kate dell and foz what about the millennials here well how am i getting them to be called millennials well when we think about it here guys we do after you know of course world war ii we have a few other wars that happen we've got uh 
the Korean War, you've got Vietnam, you've got Desert Storm. I'm going to stop there because those to me are the, the three that really kind of matter, right? You know, there's also like the Afghan War, the first Afghan War, the second Afghan War. Like there's, there's a lot of stuff in there, uh, the Cold War, that we could add in, but that really doesn't happen as of yet in the Years of War universe. Instead, what I want to look at is the time of great peace. You know, a lot of the wars I just said, the Korean War, I think was like the last real war. The Vietnam War is called a war, but it was actually dubbed to be a police action and wasn't set to be a war by the United States standards. We meet JD, Kate, and Dell, who are trying to break into a, a new COG settlement that is being built via prefab. Uh, so that way they can get a, uh, a 3D printing device that they can take back to their their settlement they live because they don't actually live, you know, with the COG. They live on the outskirts of the COG. They don't want to be like them because the, the Coalition of Gears is still a bit of a, a fascist regime. It's not the... It, it, it's not... It's it's not the the friendly uh, democracy that we see here in the United States. It's still fascist. They're still running it because now they have to do the thing of, uh, you know, repopulating the earth. But there's there's no war. There's no locusts. You know, everyone's trying to rebuild. So we get these characters who are born into a time of peace where they haven't had to know a struggle that's anywhere near as you know great as what their parents went through. Same thing with millennials. I remember growing up, I remember when I started to become, you know, a teenager and then I enlisted in the army, I got told how soft we were, how everyone got a participation trophy, uh, how, you know, just like we weren't made of the same material of our forefathers. We didn't have the the real grit to get in there. And people sit here, one of the uh, quotes that I got from a streamer that I really like and I don't want to dime anyone out was... I don't like the new cast of characters. I don't like the new characters. They're not capable of the violence that the original cast, they, they can't do what Marcus Cole, Dominic, and Baird did. And that's really the point, right? You have these characters that are thrown into a world where they're like, I don't like your rules, so I'm going to, you know, JD deserts from the, the army you know, he doesn't listen to his dad. He doesn't listen to Marcus. When Marcus is like, hey, look, don't join the COG. Go do something else with your life. He runs and joins the COG because that's kind of what we do. You know, we, we our, our parents say don't do that. We run off and join the army. This is me a little bit of putting myself in there for his. Uh, and he gets a really good job where his job is to, like, kind of take care of people and make people vanish that aren't necessarily good people and do some intel stuff. But he's still a big, strong guy. And he goes in with Dell, you know best friend military best friend then he meets a girl and the girl kind of changes his view and he's like oh you know this is bad so i'm gonna go desert from the cog and go live with these people out in the you know out in the wild we're gonna go to their encampment and we meet kate and there's a point where we first meet kate and we meet her mother and they're getting attacked by the robots the cog have developed so that way they don't always send soldiers they can just send drones right and she goes, Mom, what about the books? And she's like, Honey, we have plenty of hollows in there. And she goes, No, Mom, I'm talking about the books that Dad saved from the library. And if that doesn't sound incredibly millennial to you, where it's like, I, 
I'm going to worry about these, these paper books, you know, because that to me is more important. That's what makes life work living. Like that is, that is something here that millennials got a lot of flack for, you know, being these soft snowflakes because we all have to be unique and we care about things that are trivial, especially when we're coming down from a generation that has been heralded as the greatest generation. So like I said, we've got the parents here who have fought in two world wars, are now going through a time of peace. They've got PTSD, but they're not going to be able to talk about it. It's a fascist dictatorship, so you need to do what you need to do so that way people can survive. And then you've got kids who, granted, the parents don't want them to know that struggle. There is no parent that I've ever met that's like, I want my, you know, I want my kid to go to war and, and experience that hardship. People don't want it. They're proud when their child hears the call, but it's not something that they want. So we've got, you know, Marcus not being able to connect with his son. His son runs away because he's like, I don't have anything to do with my father. And now we've got these two characters here that are, you know, one is this old grizzled person who you're like, okay, we know what you're capable of. And the other one's fighting drones. You know, he might as well be playing a video game because the Terminators you know, are paper mache. And that's where you start to get it. You've got 20, it's about a 20 something year gap between the end of Gears of War 3 and the start of Gears of War 4, where the locusts begin coming back, where the kids are able to like look back and go, you know, what do we do with, you know, you know what you did here? You know, they go to uh, the facility where the locusts were created, how the locust queen was originally created. And Kate goes, you know, how could this be here? And Marcus tells him, you know, I, I knew a lot of things because his wife was chairperson for a while. And she was she was the person who was going to be in charge of the fascist dictatorship. So he knew a lot about the cog secrets. And one of the things that, you know, millennials have been accused of is when we start looking back and, and grading people on today's standards and what we know now. And she goes there and she goes, hey, you guys have this facility where you literally created the locust. We can go right here. You have created this. And Marcus is like, you're right. And every chairman's tried to figure out what that means and what to do with that, including his wife. So he is now looking at this double personal going like this, 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 this younger person is right. She like, I, I am not disagreeing with her. And she's coming at it with her modern sensibilities, but nobody has ever been able to figure out what to do with this. So that's really where it comes down to is you have these, like I said, old characters, these old characters who are now like, you know, getting up there in age, but they're your World War II characters, and that's why everyone likes them. They're hearkening back to this grandiose idea of what it meant to be a soldier, what it meant to be, you know, Starship Troopers, a citizen. Would you like to know more? Like, that's what it's hearkening back to. And then when you get the new, the new group of people, when you get the, the JD who can't own up to when he gets a bunch of civilians killed, like he, he just doesn't know how to own up to it because that's a massive mistake and he kind of just pins it on somebody else and, and runs from it. You have uh, Kate and Dell who are trying to uncover like, hey, what's really going on? What were all the secrets and all the things that the, the cog did? And, you know, looking back like on the things of like dropping bombs in their own cities on these civilian targets because they're like, that's where the enemy is at. We need to find a way to stop them. And those are the sensibilities. So when we compare 
JD to Marcus Phoenix, we can easily go, hey, look, JD's not the same person of, of his father. You're right. His father had World War I and then World War II to shape him. JD had peace. He had trying to make a name for himself. I'm pretty sure, you know, being the, the child of one of the greatest soldiers of all time probably wasn't easy for him. And so he, like, goes to make his own name, screws that up royally, right? Screws that up so royally, ends up deserting and, you know, wants to, wants to kind of go and, and, like, can't really figure out, doesn't, doesn't have that dead and drive of this is what it's going to take. I want to do this. This is what we're going to do to go forward. You get Del. Del kind of gets brought along as the friend. Del's a, a nice splice between Dominic and uh, uh, Coltrane and Baird. Like he's he's smart. He can work on his own. He's got the big heart, but then you know he's also got his. Uh, he's also like best friend, ride or die, and even does that with Kate when like JD goes off because he JD needs to leave. He needs to go figure out who he is. Del goes off with Kate to have their adventures, and then we look at. You know, Kate, Kate, you know, kind of starts as a love interest, kind of really gets to become her own character. And she is. And, and she's somebody who's like always on the outside, you know, she was not a part of the fascist dictatorship. Her father was he got out, makes a life for him and his wife. And, you know, they kind of live over on uh, they, they live on the fringes where they get to like govern themselves. They have their own rules. But everything seems fair and more democratic than, you know, the autocratic state of the, the cop. And when she figures out what's going on, we kind of get to see her struggle and become somebody who's, you know, capable of this. Because she goes and she asks the questions of, how did you guys think you could do this? There had to be another way. There's always another way. And we get to see her really start to struggle and talk to somebody else. You know, we get to see someone talk with, you know, Marcus, who's, was disillusioned, still fought because he said, you know what, I need to do this for humanity, I need to do this for my brother, I need to do this for the person that I love, and has that fight but still gets looked at as like this grandiose soldier and who gets to sit down with her and go, look, I know what you're saying, I understand that it's true and that you can't trust the government, you can't trust the COG, but you have to understand nobody has found a solution yet. We've been through this for years and this has been a cycle that's been repeating and nobody can figure out a better way to go about this. And you get to see Kate kind of have to deal with that of like, you know, what what do I do? And then at the, you know, toward the end of five, she has to make the ultimate decision. Do you sacrifice the main character of the first game to save Dell, the best friend? Or do you sacrifice Dell and save the main character of the first game? And we still don't know how that plays out. But that's why I think people, you know, are looking at these uh, these new characters and they're like, you know what? I just don't like the characters. The The new characters are millennials they are the age of people that are playing games right now the those of us who are in our 30s to early 40s uh you know late 20s millennials and we're looking at characters that are characters that are being made fun of being told they're soft they're not as good as you know the previous versions and we're going you know what i don't i don't like these characters and if you look at them reflectively through the lens of well, what's going on they're millennials. They're they're me. These characters are more like me than the like the, you know the stoic implants of, of their of their parents. You know I'm not I didn't I'm not gonna have fall. I I don't have a chance to fight in a World War One or World War Two or know what that is. I don't have a chance to fight for a a cause that I you know you could argue is probably truly just like you know 
looking at like World War World War One, World War Two, it's like okay, there are there are really bad people out there, and there are things that need to be stopped. But growing up in a, in a prolonged period of peace where we don't have that, we just have petty bickering over ideals. That's what we're currently contending with. That's what the characters in Gears Four and Five were contending with. And then when an old enemy starts to rear its ugly head again, and we get to see the remnants of a war that, you know, everyone thought was over, begin to come back, and they come back stronger, and they come back willing to fight with the same level of brutality that hasn't been seen for 20-something years, for an entire lifetime. These characters have not seen this level of brutality and this type of monster. Yeah, it makes sense that they're they 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 at the time are not up to the task. It makes sense that these characters make bad decisions or that these characters come out, you know, that the new Gears kids come out and they go, you know, well, we're going to stand on some moral high ground and we're going to say that you're all fascist dictators and, you know, are are, are bad people. It makes sense that they're going to do that because they didn't grow up with it. Their parents tried to provide them you know, with a semblance of peace, with a semblance of not having to live through a hundred years worth of wars, including a war that nearly ended all of humanity and life as we know it. It's the same that we're looking at now. It's the same as millennials have been, where it's like, hey, we might have another world-ending war, you know, with with everything going on in the in the world today, just turn on the news and it feels like, hey, it's five minutes from a war that could wipe humanity off the face granted it's going to be with ourselves but that is to me that is why we look at these characters and people look at the gears of war people you know that the new cast the kate jd del foss and they go i don't like them i think it's because they're a reflection of what we would be like if we went to serve in the military not to say that the military wouldn't do that you know wouldn't like train you and get you ready but they're millennials handling a problem and that problem has been passed down from their parents who handled it a very different way and now they need to figure out how to deal with it but they don't have the experience of their parents and their parents don't always know how to transfer that like i said guys that's just my that's my opinion on you know why the the new cast of characters from uh from the gears of war games they're, that they're not the the favorite that's why i think that these characters when you look at them People go, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't like them. I just don't like the new characters. They're not as good as the old characters. It's because we're hearkening back to a golden age, to an age of that's what it meant to be like a soldier, an Xbox 360 character, a man's man, like your big buff space marines. And you're right. That's what they were, and they were really cool for that time being that way. And now when we get their offspring, who who didn't have to go through that. You know, we we sit here and look at them and go, oh, you know what? I don't I don't know if I like those characters very much. And we look at ourselves and I look back at, you know, uh for me, like my parents didn't serve like I did, but I look back at people I know who served in previous conflicts and they, they look at the, the newer people that are coming up and like, ah, yeah, I don't I don't know about these new recruits. Like that's the way that's the way it always tends to feel is there's there's a golden age that we want to hearken back to. You know, it's like when we think about chivalry back in the Knights of these are of uh, King Arthur's Court or the Bushido Code. And we want to harken back to like this grand era of mankind and what it could have been like. 
we've got us looking at our Gears characters going like, ah, I remember this grand era of Gears, what it used to be like. But now I've got, you know, these kids, and I don't know how I feel about them. Anyway, uh, if, if it's not understandable, I'm, I'm a massive fan of the Gears of War campaigns. I, I love Gears 5. I love Gears 4. I, I have liked every single Gears game that has come out, and hopefully that gives you guys a new context. I highly recommend, if you haven't played Gears of War in a while, and you guys really uh, do like Gears, uh, go back and play it. I want you guys to go back and try playing you know, Gears you know, 1 through one through five and try looking at it from a standpoint of world war two, the Pacific theater all the way up to, you know, millennials getting drawn into a conflict with a, with an old enemy, the likes they've never seen before. And, you know, their parents were trying to protect them from make sure they would never see before and see if it doesn't, you know, make you like those characters a little bit more, or maybe give you just a little bit more empathy towards them. And of course, if you guys do like this, please let me know in the comments. Uh, whether on YouTube, here on uh, Apple, uh, Spotify. Let me know if you guys like these. I have a few of them queued up that I would really like to do where we talk about the expanded universe uh, of a lot of these characters here. Uh, I've got a, a few big ones that I really want to do as far as going into uh, other games that I'm really, really big fan of uh, or different expanded universes and more. And don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. You guys can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and we are streaming on Twitch now. Remember, you're all winners out there. Keep it weird and have a fantastic rest of your day, everybody.